Previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz. If you're trying to escape from reality, this is the way. Not to quote The Mandalorian about Emily in Paris, but it, but it, it really is. <laughs> At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Lou Katz begins now. Welcome to our 60th podcast, believe it or not. It's, it's the one that keeps you informed on the ever-changing world of entertainment. I'm Lou Katz, and we want to welcome from Vulture and WTOP Radio, the one entertainment critic even Regal Cinemas couldn't shut down. You know her, you love her. It's Jen Cheney. Hello. And also proudly spewing his opinions since way back in 1973, longtime entertainment maven, and AARP cardholder, Arch Campbell. You don't even have to ask for my senior discount anymore. <laughs> As if I were going to movies anyway. But here we are, and another week has begun, and we always start with Jen Cheney, who answers the question, what's new this week? Well, we've got a few things. One is The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is a follow-up to the Netflix series from last year, Haunting of Hill House. This is a completely different story um, than last season, and it's based very loosely on uh, The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Right. Um, it's a kind of classic haunted house story, and Nanny goes to care for some kids uh, at a kind of isolated manor in, in England in the 1980s, and um, immediately things seem a little bit strange. And as the show goes on, you start to learn more and more about the backstory with the family. I'm like, I guess almost halfway through. It's a little bit slow, but it's interesting. And certainly for the Halloween month, I think it's a, a good good one to watch. Also on Friday, we have The Right Stuff, not the movie. This is a new TV series mm. that's based on the movie and also the novel by, by Tom Wolfe. Uh, it's on Disney+. Plus. Um, I'm also still making my way through this. I will say the first episode reminded me of Top Gun because it starts with, you know, they're they're doing flight training and there's they establish a rivalry between um, Alan Shepard and, and John Glenn that felt very um, Maverick and Iceman-ish to me. But, you know, nice production values. We're just going space crazy these days for some reason. Like every show is about space. <laughs> so this is another one. You know, uh, PBS uh, produced an excellent documentary on, I think it was called The Space Race that uh, PBS reran recently. And I thought it was fascinating. I really got into Dr. Werner von Braun and uh, and the early days of uh, you know the first seven astronauts. So there is a lot of stuff out there, and and it's always fascinating. The Challenger documentary still stays with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was really great. Uh, this is, I think, going more for the for the uplift, obviously, since things turned out a little bit better on that mission. Um, the uplift would be nice. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> And then one more thing to mention, and I think this is especially relevant for our listeners who are in the D.C. area, is there's a new docuseries on Netflix that also debuts on Friday called Deaf You. And it's basically a reality show that's uh, set at Gallaudet University, mm -hmm. which, you know, many of us know that's in D.C., but have maybe have never visited there, don't know much about the culture there. You know, it's a lot of it is about the relationships and the romances and the gossip between um, the students there. But it also is a window into the deaf and hard of hearing community and the different kind of clicks and, and things that exist within it, which I, I honestly knew nothing about. So from that point of view, I thought it was really interesting. And, um, and it's certainly fun to see, you know, if you can spot the places in DC that they're, you know, going out to drink and eat and things like that. And that's uh, Netflix. 
That's Netflix, yeah. Def you. That I'm very interested in that. Jen and I, as you know, love to invite our friends to join us. And this week, we're especially happy to welcome Nell Minow of RogerEbert.com. Nell also writes and reviews as the movie mom. And Nell, welcome to uh, our little get-together. Yes, great to have Nell. Yay. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. You're some of my favorite people to talk to about movies. And uh, we're always interested in what are you watching? A lot of Turner Classic movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you watch uh, Turner Classic movies and you're in the Depression and World War II and suddenly it doesn't seem so bad what's going on now. Uh, it's a wonderful black and white world. And uh, so I've been spending a lot of time there. But I've also seen some of the new releases that I've liked very much. I think my favorite movie of the year so far is The Personal History of David Copperfield. Mm. Um, so I, I really love that. Uh, I love the race blind casting. It's one of my favorite books. So I went into it as I always do a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. How are they going to possibly convey all the richness of this book? I thought they did a great job. And then I think, you know, it, it's been a while since we've had a good romantic comedy, but I really enjoyed uh, the Broken Hearts Gallery, which also had race blind casting and, and which I thought was very refreshing. They didn't care in both movies whether one character was the same race as the character who played the mother or the father. They just went with it. So those are two movies I liked a lot. And there have been a lot of great- Both of those are uh, on demand. You can uh, download them most anywhere. And I guess they're 10 or 20 bucks. So less than it costs to go to the theater and pay for parking and all of that. <laughs> and there, and I enjoyed Bill and Ted's uh, Face the Music. I thought that was a lot of fun. There's some still some good new stuff coming. Oh yeah, and my other favorite movie of the year so far was uh, Palm Springs. This brings up- uh, you know, uh, recently, uh, Regal has announced they're uh, closing their theaters, and uh, Warner Brothers and Disney are moving things into the year 2022. Yeah. And uh, Nell, what's your take on uh, going to the movies? I think it's going to be staying home at the movies uh, for the foreseeable future. I think that the studios are still figuring out how that's going to work. I think the way they released Mulan was not probably optimal uh, to, to ask the Disney Plus subscribers to pay another $30 on top of their Disney Plus subscriptions. I will say that I have added a couple of subscription services from being at home. I had not previously subscribed to Criterion. I picked up Peacock as well. And I think- Hey, what do you think of Peacock, by the way? Are you seeing anything you like on it? So far, none of the new stuff I thought oh. has been good. I've been having fun visiting some of my old favorites, but- Did you uh, watch that documentary on Harry Belafonte and the Tonight no, Show? No, I do want to see that. I hear that's great. That's the reason I tried it. And yeah. I shouldn't prejudice you, but I was a little disappointed. In Are you? All right, good. Yeah. Well- uh, I haven't gotten around to that yet. Um, I, I thought that the David Schwimmer series was just terrible. Uh-huh, yeah. Excruciating. Speaking of excruciating, I just have to say, because I watched it yesterday, so it's fresh in my mind, The War with Grandpa. Wow. <laughs> oh, yes. What <laughs> a terrible end. Just a terrible movie. And even by pandemic brain standards, where I think my standards may be a little low right now, <laughs> I'm, I understand it was it was finished in 2017, and they finally are coming out with it. It's just awful. 
It's, Robert it's, De Niro as a grumpy old grandpa. And Christopher Walken and Cheech and Uma Thurman and Rob Riggle. I mean, my goodness, it's got a great cast. I think the children in it probably are graduating from high school now because they made it a while ago. But oh. it's it's just horribly painful. You know, I haven't seen it yet, but it, I, I did see a commercial for it where they were very much saying like, time to go back to the movies, go see one with grandpa. <laughs> and I'm like, really? Is that how you want to market this? No, 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 no. So if that's what they've got in theaters, I think we're all fine staying home. I am very concerned about the future of movie theaters. They were operating uh, on the verge of bankruptcy already. They make their money from their overpriced concessions, not from the ticket sales. And if you're wearing a mask, you can't eat, you know, a gallon of popcorn. So I, I, I'm very concerned about, about them. And yeah, we all know where that popcorn's been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nowhere near an ear of, an ear of corn, that's for sure. I worry about the breaking of habits. I mean, we are all making new habits now, and I don't know if the habit will return to going to the movies. I think yeah, Jen doesn't agree that, with you. Know, we're unusual because, as you know, most movie ticket buyers are between the ages of 14 and 30. Most adults... Uh, will wait three months until it comes on pay-per-view or cable. So I don't think that is ever going to change because what do teenagers want to do? They want to get out of the house and they want to be with their friends. So I think, I think people, uh, I think there will be a burst of return to theaters if they can just hang, hang on until then. It's always nice to hear some optimism. <laughs> uh, this week, Saturday Night Live returned uh, to a live performance on stage at 30 Rock. Jen, what do we think? I didn't think it was a particularly great episode. My favorite part, the absolute best part, was the parody of the Drew Barrymore show. I am just like you, a boho free spirit mommy mother movie star since I was six. That was amazing. <laughs> it wasn't even, like, I don't know if you've seen the Drew Barrymore show, but that is literally exactly what it's like. Billy Who is that actress that does her? Chloe Fineman. She did everybody. She did. Yeah. She uh -huh. was just like Bugs Bunny on every base in baseball, doing every impression. She was amazing. I agree with you. I thought she did a wonderful job, and and it managed to be a devastating takedown, and yet somehow affectionate because you cannot hate yeah. Drew Barrymore, even though her show is just awful. <laughs> I expected Saturday Night Live to be a lot more edgy than it was. It just seemed it, lately a lot of them seem generic to me. And I think Alex Baldwin and the rest of us are kind of getting tired of uh, his Trump. I agree with that. And I didn't and I did not think that uh, Jim Carrey's uh, Joe Biden was better than Jason Sudeikis's. I really loved uh, his version of Joe Biden. So, yeah, it was not quite as sharp uh, as one would hope. So for me, other than the Drew Barrymore sketch, I still like uh, Weekend Update that I, I think that that is still the strongest part of the show. Uh, anything else? What else is on our minds? I'm still watching Fargo and I'm gradually enjoying it. I, I want to just mention some of the things that I've been watching to cheer myself up. No judging, right? We're all no, no. You're not going <laughs> to judge. Can't promise. <laughs> all right. The Babysitter's Club. Watched it twice all the way through. Mm. It, loved it. <laughs> thought it was absolutely wonderful. And I had never seen Schitt's Creek before. And now I'm completely obsessed with it. I've watched about four episodes now and I'm getting into it. But uh, my wife, Gina, always leaves the room. And so 
when I'm lonely for her, I can't watch. Well, let me just say that I'm not recommending this to anybody, but this is what I did and it worked for me. Arbitrarily, because it just, I had never seen an episode. I just started with season three. And oh, that's a good uh, I idea. now think that, that was the smart thing to do because a character arrives in season three who became my favorite character and it went past love story, it went past comedy and it became one of the best love stories I've ever seen. And then I went back and watched the first two seasons, but but season three is when it really takes off in my opinion. Wow, I'll try that. Uh, did you see the movie, I'm Thinking of Ending Things? I'm kind of an advocate for that. Are you? I'm still trying to parse it and I'm a person who still thinks that the best movie of the 21st century uh, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Mm -hmm. uh, fabulous performances uh, from everybody, uh, but I'm still trying to figure it out. So would you like to explain it to me? No. <laughs> oh, I have, I have no idea, although it's got something to do with Oklahoma. <laughs> but because of that, and you know, because we're at this time where we're all watching movies, we remember I watched uh, Being John Malkovich again. Mm -hmm. And I'm equally confused and uh, enjoying the confusion. That is a fabulous so, movie. Yeah, it so. is. I think that undiluted Charlie Kaufman may not be the best Charlie Kaufman. I think he's best when he's working with somebody else. Yeah. Well, I think it's time for us to pitch it over to Lou Katz for what's going on with Hound Radio. And we have a lot to discuss in the area of music uh, and specifically uh, Eddie Van Halen. So, uh, First, let's pitch to Lou for uh, an unbridled uh, promotion. A shameless plug is what we like to call it, Arch. We have a, a silly little show we do every Sunday night where we play nothing but stiffs, songs that were not hits. Here's what it's all about. According to the Webster Dictionary, the definition of the word stiff, when used as a noun, is a flop or failure. So Hound Radio, lover of floppy ears and all kinds of music, invites you to enjoy an hour of musical flops and failures. Hey, it's Lou. Thanks to Lisa over in Falls Church, one of our Hound listeners. She has sent in a classic stiff. Came in number 58 in 1972 on the Billboard charts. We call it Sunday Night Stiffs. Each weekend for a hour hound radio will play nothing but lost songs that never became hits summer singles summer album tracks but they all have one thing in common they're stiffs got one you want to hear send it to lou at houndradio.com there's only one internet radio station that's bold enough or dumb enough to do this it's sunday night stiffs every weekend from nine till ten on hound radio The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz comes to you from the secret underground bunker studios of the Katz Podcasting System. This week, uh, many of us were saddened by the death of Eddie Van Halen, and I think everybody wants to weigh in on that, especially my friend Jen. Jen, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I hope it. I hope you accept it in the uh, spirit I'm meaning. Uh, my sister listens, and she says, oh, that Jen Cheney. She's such a millennial. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. That's my sister. I I, it's a compliment. I'm not sure. What's, what's your take on Eddie Van Halen? Well, as a non-millennial, um, <laughs> uh, I can tell you that, um, you know, he obviously one of the greatest rock guitarists that ever lived. 
But specifically, I think if you ask someone in the late 70s, the 80s, what does rock and roll sound like? It sounded like mm-hmm. Eddie Van Halen's mm-hmm. guitar. Like that's just, that's it. Mm. And uh, I was, you know, I know he had had cancer for a while, but man, it was really sad to hear that he died. It really did feel like rock of that era, which has essentially died in a mainstream sense. Like that is not the leading popular music anymore, and it hasn't been for a while. But that made it sort of uh, extra real, I would say. Nell, are you a fan? I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of David Lee Roth Van Halen and Sammy Hagar Van Halen. Love them both. You can't love them equally. That's not allowed. <laughs> I'm a baby boomer. I'm allowed. So, oh, okay. You get to do whatever you want. Uh. <laughs> I just the, the older you get, the more expansive you can be in your in your likes. You you know. So I'm just a little bit older than Eddie Van Halen, and I definitely loved him. I love Van Halen because of Eddie Van Halen, not because of the frontman, and because I mean that smile of his while he was playing was as much fun as the playing itself. And, you know, when people sometimes ask, what's the best TV show theme song? And people always say, the Beverly Hillbillies and Gilligan's Island. And I always say a show called Sydney, which nobody even remembers because it had like three episodes, but it starred Valerie Bertinelli and she got Eddie Van Halen to write the theme song. So that's <laughs> my favorite TV theme song. And just such pure joy in the music uh, was part of what made him so special. And, and our host, uh, Lou Katz, played uh, Eddie Van Halen uh, and that kind of music for many, many, many oh, yeah. decades. Many years. It's, it's a real loss. I, I was certainly shocked. I was not aware that he had been sick, but apparently had throat cancer for, I think, 10 years, had been taking treatments uh, over in Europe on several occasions. And it just apparently taken a, a turn for the worse over the last f- several days. Did you ever cross paths with him? No, none of the Van Halen band members. Even when I was working mm-hmm. in the same building as DC 101 was. But I certainly, you know, remember playing the songs from the late 70s through uh, all the way into the 80s and 90s, you know. still The music still to this day, especially on adult contemporary formats and classic hit formats is still very very popular and are we going to hear a lot of him on hound radio this weekend well we when the when the word broke out on tuesday we had a special segment where we featured a whole bunch of uh van halen songs and in fact we're going to wrap up our podcast with with their biggest hits so stay close for that i saw van halen on their last reunion tour um Mm. i forget how long ago that was maybe it was it may have been even 10 years ago but i feel like it was less uh, and I'm really glad I saw that show, even though, you know, David Lee Roth's uh, leaping was not quite what it had been in the 1980s, but um, <laughs> Eddie could still play the guitar as well as ever. And uh, it was really a fun show. Where was this? This was at um, Verizon Center or whatever we're calling it now. <laughs> On the world of music, let me mention very briefly, uh, Johnny Nash, who wrote uh, I Can See Clearly Now. Yeah, Arch just announced today that he passed away. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. I think the story is he had cataract surgery. That song is from my era. Yeah, it was it was a number one song in 1972, and uh, I, I didn't. He was 80 years old. Yeah, Al Kasha wrote "The Morning After" for the Poseidon Adventure and won an Oscar for it. There's got to be a morning after. Mel, have you watched the Poseidon Adventure lately? I have. Not. 
<laughs> not watched it, I think, since it came out. I don't like it. Shelly Winters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, what what was going on in the world where we had to have all those disaster movies? Harrowing <laughs> Inferno. There weren't enough disasters, so we yeah. had to go to the movies. Well, it was a way now of... We, now that is no stars. longer the case. It was a way of packing a lot of stars into one movie, and I guess none of them had to work too hard. But yeah, those movies <laughs> seem very silly now. The playwright Murray Schuskel uh, passed away, and he is famous for a lot of things, but particularly for the screenplay for Tootsie. I cannot tell y'all how deeply moved I am. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that I would be the object of so much Genuine affection. Thoughts on Murray Schiskel? Obviously, he's best known for Tootsie and, and for crossword puzzle, puzzle fillers out uh, for his play Love. That's often a, mm -hmm. a, a crossword puzzles. One of his other plays became a movie, I think, with the original cast with uh, The the Tiger Makes Out. He was sort of like a, a even darker Neil Simon because it was a very mm -hmm. New York-y, very gritty kind of dark humor. The fact that he worked on Tootsie. A lot of people worked on Tootsie. And, you know, just like I was saying with Charlie Kaufman, he was better working with other people to kind of sweeten, sweeten it a little bit. But uh, he had a very devoted following of um, an actress who loved to work with him, like Dustin Hoffman, who was in one of his plays. And then, of course, in Tootsie and a wonderful sensibility. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a sad loss. Have either of you seen Tootsie lately? How does it play now? I have seen it lately. And um, of course, our views about gender have changed and uh, our views about how hilarious it is that someone might mistake somebody for a different gender and want to kiss them. Um, not as much fun, maybe, but it's still, the movie still works extremely well, partly because of Bill Murray, who's, you know, one of the classic lines of movies. That is one nutty hospital. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, whenever it comes on cable, I will watch it just for the scene where Dustin Hoffman talks about playing a beefy tomato, which I love, one of my favorite scenes ever. Yeah, and another great scene in that movie is when he uh, goes to the restaurant where Sidney Pollock is and he doesn't recognize him and he starts you know, explaining who he is and Sidney Pollock is freaking out. That's a great scene too. I mean, it, I, I agree with you. I don't think it plays the same way and wouldn't play as well. I don't think they could make that movie now. It wouldn't work. Even though the underlying issue of women's equality that's kind of threaded through there is still very relevant, but a, the way they kind of handle it. And sexual um, harassment. And sexual Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I mean, a great performance by Dustin Hoffman and everybody in it. I mean, it's still a really delightful movie. Jessica Lange is great. Eugenia Davis is great. Gary Gar. Derry Gar is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And this is the time when we can go back and revisit those. And, uh, and as Jen is pointing out lately, uh, some of them don't work anymore, but the ones that do, it's, uh, it's nice to find them again. So every week, Jen throws <laughs> a, a little curveball at us called Flashbacks and Favorites, where we have to answer a question that is semi-embarrassing. Okay. Well, it's not always embarrassing. I've already been Babysitter's Club. I don't know where else I can. That's not embarrassing. Okay, good. I don't think she that's asked me my favorite rock album, and I said Ben Clyburn. Piano <laughs> not what I asked. Number one. I asked you your first album. I didn't. It didn't have to be rock. It could have been anything. <laughs> oh, I want to say something about the first record I ever bought. Okay. It's because there's a special reason. First record I ever bought 
was Hermits Hermits leaning on the lamppost. I'm leaning on the lamppost at the corner of the street in case a certain little lady comes by. And the reason that that uh, is so important right now is that my sister's birthday was last month and I got a cameo of Herman himself, Peter Noon, wishing her a happy birthday. And she just about passed out. She was as excited as she would have been in 1966. That's awesome. Wow. All right, so with that having been said, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit because we're gonna have a theme running through this month. It's October, it's Halloween month. So we're gonna be doing horror-related questions all month long. Ooh. And as a millennial, uh, I'm going to focus on certain decades, starting with the 1980s. What is your favorite horror movie of the 1980s? Oh, it has to be the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Oh, no question for me, Poltergeist. Yeah. That's Ooh. one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And I'm not a horror fan, but that is a perfect movie. I absolutely love that movie. Oh, man. That, I mean, technically, that's my answer, too, although I've said that on the podcast before. So just to throw something else in, uh, I also do love Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> like, it's horrible, but, like, it, it, it was so, it was scary, but also there was so much ridiculous humor in it that it was hard to get, like, too scared by it. Uh, I, I was a big fan of that in high school. Uh, I'm going to throw a wild card out here and say the original Friday the 13th, before they made uh, the, the, the next 20 of them. Mm-hmm. But the original one and the original idea, and because so many people uh, copied it, and also because Betsy Palmer... <laughs> whom I watched on I've Got a Secret (laughs) showed up as Jason's mother. Uh, I'm going to go with that. Louie, what's your favorite horror movie from the 80s? I wouldn't know. I don't go to horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) Never? I'm being being serious. That genre of film never, never interests me. So I unfortunately can't provide an answer. Oh, this is going to be a dry month for Lou. <laughs> Most are. Well, I'll add another one that I'm surprised no one said, which is The Shining. That was 1980. It just barely sneaks in there. but The Shining has the single scariest moment I've ever seen in a movie, which is when Shelley Duvall finds out what Jack Nicholson is up to. That is the single scariest moment I have ever experienced. When he in a movie. barges in with the, when, the axe? No, no. When when she sees what he's Oh, the, the pages. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something about that movie. From the movie... Uh, room 227, which is about that making of the movie that I didn't know before, which is that there's a different typewriter in every shot of that, of him, t- of him working as uh, that you don't, you don't consciously realize that unless you're really looking at the typewriter, but it's, oh. it's the unsettling feeling. Oh, cool. That's a good so, watch for horror fans too. So what should we recommend for this weekend? What are we going to watch this weekend? I don't know, but I have a plug for something. Sure. <laughs> Can I do that? Certainly. So um, normally at Vulture, we do a, an in-person Vulture Festival, but we're doing one this year um, that is going to be virtual. And I'm going to be moderating a conversation with Henry Winkler. It's actually going to be an acting class with Henry oh. Winkler. And we are seeking actual wannabe aspiring actors. He, he wants to answer questions from you. So if you have a question for Henry Winkler, email it to askwinkler at vulture.com. And I'm going to be sifting through those and, and finding ones to to pose to him. This is a riff on that great uh, role he's got these days. Yes, yes. As Gene Cousineau on, on Barry, the, the, the name of our, our panel is um, The Winkler Method. 
So. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, that's wonderful. Well, I can recommend a movie that is coming on Netflix this week uh, called The 40-Year-Old Version. Mm -hmm. uh, and it is a semi-autobiographical film in uh, made in glorious black and white. We should have much, many more black and white films. And this is beautiful about a woman who's at a crossroads. That's, you can tell from the title. And uh, her career hasn't gone the way that she thought it would. And she doesn't want to make artistic compromises, but she wants to be successful. And I thought it was smart and funny and heartfelt. And uh, that's definitely worth seeing on, on, for adults on uh, Netflix. Cool. Louie, what are you going to watch this weekend? More Saturday Night Live. Uh, I'm going to keep watching Fargo. And uh, I'm going to try some of those movies on Netflix that uh, Mel has recommended. So uh, hope everybody has a nice weekend. Lou, would you like to wrap things up for us? We are remembering Eddie Van Halen and his passing on Tuesday. And I did want to get that song, Jump In, which was, uh, again, as I said, the number one song for the band. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week.
This is the CATS Podcasting System.